Turn with me to John chapter 3, verses 13 through the fourth chapter and the first verse. And uh, I, I think what I'm going to try to do here is just, just hold uh, maybe the, the major points of communication to the things that I think are major this morning. Many of you know this, but I want to lay it out like this. We have just come out of a series called The Promise. And, and, and that began for us at Easter. And, and I'm reading through the Bible reading plan the Oaks Church laid out for us. And maybe you've just finished Leviticus like me. And, and you saw in the book of Leviticus where there was this 49-day period from Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, up to Pentecost. This 50-day period of time where the atonement was made through Jesus, where his blood was presented on the altar. And then the promise of what God gave humanity, the Holy Spirit, was poured out on the first church and then began to be proclaimed throughout all of the church to be promised and poured out onto us. Pastor Chad and our team had a great thought earlier this year in some planning meetings that we needed to bridge those gaps between those two bookends. And so we've been attempting to do that over the last 49 days. Today is also Pentecost Sunday in the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ all over the world. Now, what that means in the Bible Belt is something different than it means in other parts of the world. If, if you've never been to other parts of the world, you're not traveled or, or cultured, then, then you think Pentecost means UPCism, Pentecostalism, UPCI, what we think Pentecost is here in West Monroe, Louisiana. They're definitely our brothers and sisters, not knocking them at all. But Pentecostalism or being Pentecostal in doctrine has nothing to do with a denomination. It has to do with the acknowledgement that when Jesus died 50 days later, there was something else coming that Jesus said was better than him being here in the flesh on this earth. Many people's Christianity bookends at the cross of Calvary, the most historic and meaningful event in all of human history. However, there was a promise connected to the atonement on the cross that did not come until 50 days later. And most times it has been strangled out, pushed out, kept out of the church and it's kept the church from having the power that the individual believer needs to live and walk in victory in their lives. Listen to me, if we're going to say Oaks Church is a church for all people, but we're not going to introduce them to the power to bring real life change in their lives, we might as well just be telling people it's cool to stay how you are because we don't have anything to transform their lives unless we introduce them to the power God sent to transform them. Are you ready for this? From the inside out, not as religion would do it from the outside in. Religion wants you to dress a certain way, act a certain way, look a certain way, talk a certain way, be a certain way, and pays no attention to the inside of the cup. Jesus says, I'm gonna start with the hard heart of stone, make it a heart of flesh. I'm gonna change you from the inside out, and all of a sudden, my spirit will begin to permeate every bit of infiltrate you until that spirit changes you, your desires, how you walk, how you talk, how you look, how you believe, how you act from the inside out. You won't even recognize you along the journey. Jesus said, I'm going to clean the inside of the cup. I just got to get my spirit in them. And he'll be with all of them in all places at all times. He'll teach them, guide them, convict them, strengthen them. And so, you know, that's a mouthful. I've given you a lot of doctrine, a lot of meat already today, but 
the interesting thing was I was looking for a place in the scriptures that tied those two baptisms together tied those two baptisms together and 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 I feel like I'm I'm a pretty studied up student of exhausting the scriptures and and to my best recollection I could not find another combining of these two baptisms other than in the gospel and in the life of Jesus Christ well what better place to look I was telling a story this morning about Finley and my good friend, Mr. David Batterton, he's gonna kill me for saying his name, but, but he's, I said, did I tell you that story about Finley? He said, oh yeah, you told, you told the whole church last week. I said, no, 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 this is a different Finley story. It's a different Finley story. Somebody's telling on me to Finley because as soon as church is over, she said, I heard what you said about me, dad. <laughs> Guess one day when she's pastoring, preaching up here, she can, she can use me for stories and it'll be my turn then. Yeah. So this Finley story was, she heard a bit of this message. She was either in second grade or third grade and was on the play, second grade, third grade, on the playground. And she was telling all her friends on recess, correct Christian doctrine was to be water baptized and spirit baptized. Well, I'm just glad to know that's what my daughter was talking about on the playground. And, uh, and, and, and she knew just enough truth to be dangerous. She knew there was two, but she just didn't know how it happened. And somebody asked her, I believe it was Pastor Terry Taylor at Family's Church, dear friends of ours, granddaughter Sully, well, how do you do that? And, and she said, well, all I know is my daddy holds them down until they get spirit baptized. You just got to hold them down longer, then their spirit gets baptized. <laughs> so Sully went and told Pastor Terry he wasn't doing it right and that they needed to be getting water baptized and spirit baptized. And Pastor John over at Oaks Church was holding them down long enough till they got their spirits baptized. <laughs> So, so then I saw Pastor Terry in town. He said, hey, I heard y'all been having a lot of spirit baptisms over at the Oaks. I said, man, absolutely. He said, I guess I got to start holding them down longer. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, well, Finley told Sully you was holding them down till they got spirit. I guess they just engulfed one big swallow of water and their spirits got baptized. <laughs> oh, Finley. <laughs> she, knew, she knew enough to get them going, she just didn't know how to finish the story. It says, then Jesus went from the Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. Somebody say a new beginning. But John tried to talk Jesus out of this baptism. John said rightly, he said this rightly, I'm the one, Vernon, that needs to be baptized by you. So why are you coming to me? Jesus said to him, it is right for us to do this. We must do this to carry out all of the righteous requirements of God. So then John agreed to baptize Jesus. Well, let me just throw something in there. Did you see 22 people get water baptized today? 23 people get... Here's a, here's a praise report. Here's a praise report for God. We're up to 75 and we're in the first quarter of the year. What are we in? March? Second quarter of the year? Is this March, April, May? We're in May. Going into June. I don't know. It's they all flying by. May, going into June. The end of May, that's 75 people who have made a public decision to be water baptized. Can I tell you, all 75 of those people that needed to be water baptized needed, an, needed a water baptism for the removal of their sins. Jesus' sins didn't need to be forgiven. There were no sins. Why was Jesus being water baptized? Somebody say a new beginning. It's a new beginning. He said, John, just do this. 
because this is to fulfill all righteousness. I'm about to change roles. I'm going to explain that to you a little later. We won't have time for all that today, but Pastor Chad likes it when we talk about that. He came in. I don't know that Pastor Chad's ever been a staff member that tape recorded me, but he tape recorded that conversation. He said, I need you to tell me this again about John and Jesus' water baptism. He said, I'm going to record this. Somebody say it was a new beginning. And after his baptism, check this out. As soon as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, descending on him. It wasn't a dove. It was like a dove, and it began to settle on him. Check this out. And then affirmation came. The heavens parted, and a voice said, This is my dearly beloved Son, who brings me great joy, whom I am well pleased. Right here, now I don't care your semantics of how you explain three yet one and one yet three, but we see the active and present role of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all in one picture. The Word of God made flesh is being water baptized for a new beginning. The Spirit of God is descending and the voice of the Sovereign of Heaven is saying, this is my beloved Son. Let me give you a side note, parents, for your kids. If you think your kids, wives, if you think your husbands, husbands, if you think your wives, Grandparents, if you think your grandkids do not need affirmation, you're wrong. This is the father sitting in the bleachers at the t-ball game and when his son's batting going, that's my boy. There's one person on the planet that never needed human affirmation and it was Jesus. He said, I've never entrusted men or gave my hearts to men because I know what's in men. But we see the father show up on multiple occasions in his son's life and say, that's my mom. That's my husband. That's my wife. That's my kid. That's my grandkid. Affirmation is a powerful spiritual tool and everybody needs it. You don't let criticisms go to your heart and make you a bitter person. You don't let praise and acknowledgement go to your head and make you an arrogant person. Don't ever take criticism from somebody you wouldn't take advice from and never take advice from somebody you wouldn't take criticism from. If people can't correct you, they can't protect you. But the same people that correct you ought to be willing to also affirm you. Says, that's my son. I love him. I'm well pleased with him. And then, most powerful verse, says, And Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness so that he could be tempted there by the devil. Does anyone want to know what the Greek word led there is? Ago. A-G-O. You know what English word we get from it? Agony. Jesus is being led agonizingly by the Holy Spirit into a time of temptation, into a time of challenge, not by the devil. That's what religion taught you. The Holy Spirit was picking a fight with the devil. He said, there's a new sheriff in town. I'm your huckleberry. Let me show you what rabbits really got the gun. The Holy Spirit said, I'm not afraid of you. Holy Spirit was leading Jesus into this confrontation. We see the Word of God. We see the Spirit of God. We see the water baptism. We see the Spirit baptism. 
I want to go back to that thought that I mentioned a moment ago. They're just going to put this very quickly up on the screens. Water baptism is a new beginning. Water baptism is a new beginning. For, for many today, we saw this as a symbol. Let me just read it to you. Here, here's straight from the scripture. Romans chapter 6. This is what it means to be water baptized. Straight from the Bible. Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in the waters of baptism, that you were being united with him in a form of his death? You were saying, I died with him. I was buried with him by the symbol of my baptism. And just as Christ Jesus was raised from the dead by the glorious power of God the Father, now we also are certain we can be raised to new life with him. We're saying in these waters today, the name didn't save us. The baptizer didn't save us. The water didn't remove our sin. It was our union with Christ, spiritually, figuratively, faithfully with him that we died, we were buried, and now we've been raised to life and made new. It's a new beginning. But Jesus didn't need a new beginning, or did he? Or did he? The new beginning for Jesus, why he makes the statement that says, let's do this to fulfill all righteousness. If you study the Torah, you will discover that it is illegal for there to be two living high priests at the same time. And in Jesus's day, they were Roman puppeteers appointed by the Roman government. They were a father-in-law and a son-in-law named Ananias and Caiaphas. They were not legitimate high priests of the order of the Levitical priesthood. The last legally mentioned high priest in all of the Old Testament is a man by the name of Zacharias. He's John the Baptist's father. He was of the course of Abijah, and he went in and stood in the holy place of God. And the angel Gabriel appeared to him and said, Mary's going to have a son. And he took John's voice away so he couldn't speak doubt for the nine months of her pregnancy. You want me to tell you what I believe? Bob Sorge believes this, others. I believe John the Baptist is the last legitimate high priest of the Old Testament priesthood. And when Jesus goes to be water baptized by John, he is receiving the priesthood from the Levitical order to the eternal priesthood that will serve in the heavenlies for the ages to come. He says, it is right for me to do this. I've got to become the high priest of heaven. Jesus didn't need to repent of sin. Jesus didn't need sin washed away. He needed to become the high priest for our eternal priesthood. It was a new beginning. So when you're water baptized, just know that if you're following in the purest model of Jesus, it was a new beginning for him. It's a new beginning for you. You can walk in one way and walk out another way. That's as simple as I know how to say it. But check this out. What I also want you to see, just, just put this up on the screen. Number two. Water baptism is scripturally always followed by a spirit empowerment, by a spirit empowerment. Now, different denominations teach this different ways, and, and I'm not here today to ramrod anything by, down anyone's throat, but I am here today to challenge your expectation that going in that water is indeed a new beginning, but there is also a promise for more when you come up that you can be raised to life 
by the power of God living inside of you. That that's not just one instantaneous, I went down and I came up, that there's something else for you to grasp from God. Something else for you to receive from God. This was the pattern for Jesus. I just showed it to you after his baptism as Jesus came up out of the water. The heavens were open and the spirit was poured out like a dove setting on him. I want to show you how it was in the early church since today is Pentecost Sunday throughout the global church in the earth today. And on the day of Pentecost, which is 49 days later after the day of atonement, all of the believers, the followers of the way were meeting together in one place. And suddenly there was a sound like heaven, the roaring of a a rushing mighty storm. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they looked and all of a sudden what appeared unto them like divided tongues of fire came and set upon each of them. And every person, women and men for the first time, oh, you didn't know this, women weren't allowed in synagogues. Women still aren't allowed in synagogues. There's 120 men and women together in an upper room and all of a sudden God's spirit is poured out on all of them and all of a sudden they started speaking languages from all over the world, which was a supernatural gift by the power of the Holy Spirit in that context for that moment in that day. And we could dissect that and tear that apart. That'll be for another time. Here's what I want you to know. This is also to be the pattern. I'm not saying you have to have the same vocal the same vocabulary experience. God is diverse. God expresses himself in many different ways. I know people that have gifts but don't have fruit, and it makes me doubt if their gifts are really real. I'd rather judge somebody by the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, self-control, temperance. I want to see that fruit in somebody's life. Don't tell me God's got to only do it one way, but I am telling you this, that there should be the pattern of being water baptized and then spirit-empowered spirit baptized because it's in the book it was for Jesus it was for the first church and the first Pentecostal message that was ever preached started out this way every one of you need to repent of your sins surrender your hearts to God be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and then you too will be eligible to receive this gift of the Holy Spirit he is a promise from God the Father for you here today for your children that are yet to be born and for those who are far off in the unknown yet unreached world this gift is for all whom our Lord God shall call The very first message that was ever preached promised that the Spirit's empowerment should follow water baptism for the rest of the preaching of the gospel until the end of time. So what we wanted to do was bridge the gap between Easter, between the crucifixion and then promised Sunday is celebrated on water baptism. Sunday be water baptized, but let us challenge you to grow your faith, to seek God, lean into God, embrace the tension of having God's Spirit come and live inside of you and begin to change you from the inside out. Because the truth of the matter is, this is where I was trying to get all morning. This prepares you. This prepares you for the temptations you will face in life. I don't care how long you've been saved. I don't care what name or roster your role is on and what church, what size it is, who the pastor was, when it was founded, who your grandmama was, when you were sprinkled, when you were dedicated. None of that matters to me. You are not. I am not absolved from facing temptations in life. None of us are. Do you know the only mentioning of the word temptation 
with Jesus in the whole New Testament is connected to the truth I just shared with you about him being our high priest. And he was tempted in all ways, just like we, yet without sin, so he could become the high priest of heaven. I told you he was, he was doing it for a new beginning. He was becoming the high priest of heaven. But that connection of his priestly role was connected to this process of being water baptized, spirit baptized, to face temptations and challenges that we will all face in life. Now, let me just break it to you. You will face temptation. You will face challenges. I will as well. And you will fail, and so will I. You don't have to fail. God has made a way for us not to fail, but none of us in this room is without failing. That just keeps it level on the footing of the cross. The Bible says that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit out into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil that Jesus faced this temptation, so therefore he understands us in our time of weakness, that we can go to him humbly, come before the throne of grace, that we may find his grace to help us in our time of need, because he too has been through the same tempting, through the same testing. I want to tell you what that temptation looks like for each and every one of us today. It's right there in the rest of the story in in Matthew chapter 4. But John sums it up in the first John book, second chapter, 16th verse. He says, for all that is in this world is the lust of men's eyes, the lust of men's flesh, and the pride of their life. And these three temptations every one of you will face in some arrangement or some order, however the devil plays it on you, however he mixes it up on you. And these are the same three that he tempted Jesus with in the wilderness. He said, command these stones to become bread. The lust of his flesh. He was hungry. Been 40 days fasting. And Jesus said, it is written. He's got a new beginning. He's got the Spirit's empowerment. And he's got the Word of God. Whoo! We just talked about the unholy trinity a moment ago. Now we're talking about a powerful holy trinity. A new start, a spirit's empowerment, and the cold, hard, powerful truth of God's word. He says, I see you trying to tempt my flesh. She looks good. He looks good. That looks like I need it. And he says, but it is written. Man will not live by bread alone but man lives by every word not that God said that God wrote in a book because God's not dead and what God is saying is not dead God still speaks we live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God for us today he's speaking to our homes today he's speaking to our walks today he's speaking to our hearts today he's speaking to our parenting today he's speaking to our dreams today devil I see you trying to trip me up devil I see you trying to pull me in through these lusts inside of me but I got a powerful trinity I got a new start in God I have been initiated into the priesthood of heaven I'm going to show that to you I got God's spirit living in me and now I got his word as the moral compass for the plumb line of my life it is written joker 
Revelation 1 and 6, Revelation 5 and 10, you quote me on this and see if I'm not right. He says, don't you know we have become a kingdom of priests unto our God? He's the high priest, but you are a priest under the high priest. You are in the same priesthood. And you have, to, you have committed to you from Jesus the ministry of reconciliation that God was in Christ, saving a lost, broken, and jacked up world, bringing it back to himself. And now that's the ministry he gave you. If your ministry isn't seeing lost people saved, you don't have a ministry. Jesus wasn't about growing a record of attendance. Jesus wasn't about growing budgets. Jesus, all that happens. They, they happen. They are effects of doing ministry right. Jesus' heart was, I have bread to eat you know not of. I see a woman sitting on the well that nobody else would talk to. I'll leave the 99 fat and sleek and healthy to go after the one skinny, gaunt, and broken. Jesus said, and when you do this the right way, when you open the blind eyes, when you touch the leper, that everybody passes by on the other side of the road and says, unclean, unclean. When they see the miracles, when they see the compassion, people come, ministry comes, money comes, programs come, attention comes, attraction comes, and in that there is temptation. Then he took Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple. When you go with us to Israel, listen to me. When you go with us to Israel, you will see in a glassed, enshrined case, when they started excavating 40 feet, 60 feet below the temple mount, you will see one of the pinnacle corner crowns of Solomon's temple of the second temple that was built by Zerubbabel. You, you will see one of those corner pinnacles. And I can't say that is the one because there were many on the, pin on the corners of the temple. But Satan took Jesus to the corner of the temple and I can show you one of those discovered corners of the temple that Satan took Jesus up to. It looked just like that. And he showed him the kingdoms of this world. And he said, all of these I will give to you. If you'll fall down and worship me, the lust of my eyes, the lust of my eyes. Here's what he said. He said, I tell you what, you, 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 you just, you see all this? I'll give it to you if you'll worship me. I want to ask you a question. How can Satan give Jesus something that don't belong to him? No, no, no. I'm just to mess you up. It did belong to him. It does belong to him. Satan is the God of this world. When God put Adam in the garden, Satan was already in the garden because Satan had already been cast down and taken dominion over this earth. This world belongs in the kingdoms of this world to the fallen realm. I'll give it to you. Has he ever told you that? I'll give her to you. I'll give him to you. I'll give that to you. I'll give that business. I'll give. All you got to do is take it. All you got to sell your soul. How, have you seen all the crazy stuff where all, and I ain't going to say their names, all these artists, all these professional people that they've sold their soul, that they've made a deal, that they've been filled with a different spirit and that the course of their, their careers have skyrocketed. Anybody remember the old guitar movie, Crossroads? I can teach you how to play that guitar. You just give me your soul. 
He's still, he's still buying for sale souls. Who, who did Jesus sell for 30 pieces of Who did Judas sell for 30 pieces of silver? No, he didn't. He sold himself. He didn't sell Jesus. Jesus wasn't for sale. He sold himself. His price was 30 pieces of silver. What's your price? What's your price? Because he's still buying souls that are for sale. And he says, it is written. What's he telling him? Somebody finish it for me. He says, all these kingdoms of this world. He said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord my God. You shall worship him and worship him alone. He said, I'll tell you what, one more. Let me just check your pride. If you really are the son of God, if you really are who you say you are, cast yourself down from here. Surely, he takes scripture now. Psalm 119, one of my favorite scriptures when I'm flying. Surely he will give his angels charge over you and in their wings they shall bear you up that you would dash not your foot against a stone. He says, throw yourself down. Jesus said, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Jesus takes this new beginning, this initiation into this priesthood and he takes the Spirit's empowerment and he takes the Word of God and he finds a winning recipe. He finds the successful strategy for every temptation. He was tempted in all ways that we are. Therefore, he will understand our weakness. But yet, he did it without sin. He did it without failing. Now, you still have a fallen nature, and we still live in a fallen world. And I'm not preaching so holiness over you today that you always are going to do it right. Because if I preach that to you the first time, you'll get it wrong. You'll feel like a failure and a reject and you'll give up and you'll turn away from God. You're not always going to get it right. But the Bible says there is a strategy, there is a recipe to face the temptations of life and they are found in the scriptures where water baptism meets spirits baptism and it gets empowered with the word of God and this is a strategy to keep you walking tall, keep you walking straight, keep you in the middle of the road, keep you on fire for God. And yet when you do fail, when you do make mistakes, you got to do what the Bible says. Even though the righteous may fall seven times, they get Get back up, dust themselves off, confess to God, repent to God, and ask God to have mercy on them and give me the strength that I need to claim this victory that I know you want me to have. Yeah. Pastor Chad, I, I want you to come and help me this morning land this plane. Any, anybody ever had a test in life? Anybody ever had a test in life? Anybody ever had a test that when you wouldn't pass the test, the test kept coming back. <laughs> I've asked that before, and everybody looked at me like I was crazy. You know why God keeps circling that back around? And it'll look different next time. It'll be through different people, be a different situation. You know why God keeps circling that back around to you? He's giving you an opportunity for the test to become the testimony. He, he, he's giving you the opportunity to get victory in this area. It's his glory. Listen, when something that's been tripping you up all your life, all of a sudden becomes your stepping stone, it is glory to God. It is God saying to the angelic realm that is in control in this realm. I know this is heavy, but it's the truth of the scriptures. Read Ephesians. You are saying to the angelic realm, I live in a fallen world. I have a fallen nature, but I am making the best use 
of the spiritual tools that God has given me. And like Job, I will rise above them. I will walk above them. I will live in victory over them. And I will continue to keep my praise of God in my mouth going forward. And then God holds you up like a trophy to the angelic realm and says, do you see this fallen woman? Do you see this fallen man? She is teaching y'all how to praise. He's teaching. He's showing you how to live. He's doing in a fallen world what you couldn't do in a perfect state in heaven. You, you realize that. When the devil reminds you of the mistakes you made, the past you made, begins to be cynical and critical and condemning towards you, just remind him he couldn't serve God without sin. You lived in a state of perfection. You lived in heaven. There was no sin. And you couldn't keep your heart right with God. When he starts telling you about your past, just tell him about his future. You got a, you got a hot future, buddy. Got a bright future. It's glowing orange. <laughs> the promise. Does anybody know what promise we're talking about today? The promise of the Holy Spirit. The promise of the power of change. The promise of the power of God's word. The, the promise of the power to get up and be new, to be different. The, the promise that you don't have to stay who you used to be. That you don't have to remain the way you used to be. How many of you got a vehicle sitting outside? I pray to God when you go out there, it's got some gasoline in it. Because if it don't, you ain't going nowhere. And sometimes the reason you're not going anywhere is because there's no power in the tank. The same tests keep coming back around. <laughs> same mess keeps coming back around. And you just keep failing the test. I just keep failing the test. We just keep wallowing in the mess. Like a dog going back to his vomit, like a swine going back to his mire. And God is leaning over the balconies of heaven. The angels that he's assigned around you are going, come on. Come on, make that stumbling block your stepping stool. This, 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 isn't, this isn't a setup. This is a step up. This isn't a test. This is your testimony. This isn't a mess. This is going to become your message of redemption, your message of healing, your, your message of victory, your message of wholeness, your message of a better life, your message of a better tomorrow. But guess what? Here's what we think. We think God come and does it for us. No, God gives us the tools to do it. We have to do it for us. We have to do it for our ministries. We have to do it for our families. We have to do it. I tell Brooke all the time, man, if I would have known 22 years ago, whatever it was, that God would take IV drug addiction in the moment and that I would, I'm just telling you, I have had other struggles. I have never, ever, ever struggled, never even been tempted, glory to God, to ever stick another needle in my arm with cocaine in it. Never. I wish that day I would have said, God, take this, take that. I wish I'd have loaded the wagon. <laughs> I wish it would be that easy. However, what I've discovered is the other things along the journey that have been there that God didn't take have made me stronger had made me more mature, made me more well-rounded. I'm, I'm telling you, there's been struggles. 
But what it took in those struggles is me to rely on God. At the end of you is always the beginning of God. When you finally get out of the way, get out of the driver's seat, when you finally give up and give it to God like the old timers you say, I said, how do you do that? Let go and let God. I'm like, I've been trying to let go and let God. And I ain't been letting something right. Something's wrong, broke with my letting. Man, it's that adversity. It's, 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 it, 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 it's like I had mentioned this a few weeks back. Learning to take control of my diet has given me strength in other areas of my life. I'm just being honest with you. It's given me strength back in areas of my life that I didn't realize I had slipped in. And it's like when the Holy Spirit comes in and starts giving you strength, you wake up and you go, holy, I didn't realize I had this strength. I didn't realize, you know what, I didn't have to step down. I'm not being ugly. Praise. If you're stepping down from drugs... To, to nicotine, to vape, man, like, listen to pastor, I'm in the cheering section of the you're moving the right way area of your life. I'm like, praise God, you're moving the right way. I'm cheering you on like a great cloud. Of, your, your walk, your progress may not be my walk. It may be there. I'm cheering you on. Now, don't go back on me because then we're going to have a meeting. But at the same time, I'm telling you, If you're stepping down, one day all of a sudden you may wake up to a reality that says, I can just step out. I I don't have to step down. I can just step out. I I, I don't need this. It's there. God's no respecter of persons. It's a promise. It's a promise. When I was a little boy, I'm very careful with this, with Finley, Fisher, and Foster. I really am. I I try to be so careful. When I was a little boy, you know, I don't want to say nothing bad at all because, you know, I'm over it. I'm healed. I'm forgiven. I forgave. But when I was a little boy, I think uh, my family, my parents were kind of living their own life. I get it. It's very easy for me to do today. And and so as appeasements, I would remember at times, not even going to call it, they would say, I promise you, I promise you. And as a little kid, what would I do? put all my hope on that. I could wait for so-and-so to pick me up and do this. I couldn't wait for so-and-so to say, go get new shoes. I couldn't wait. Make the, and then I would just do what? Believe it. Lock, stock, and barrel. What do you have to do with promises? Got to believe them. Got to believe them. Problem is we've been lied to. We've been hurt. We've been let down. We don't get our hopes up. So we don't believe God's promises. But God's not a man that he should lie. God's not a man that he would change his mind. When God makes you a promise, you can take it to the bank. Get your hopes up. He's not going to leave you standing there after school one day with nobody to pick you up in the rain. God said, I've got a promise for you. Promise of power, promise of victory, promise of a new life. 